This is Radio Influence. This is Beyond the Badge on Radio Influence. A look inside the biggest and most controversial news stories you need to know now. One of the country's most relied upon law enforcement analysts, Vincent Hill. Good evening and welcome to Beyond the Badge. I am your host, Vincent Hill. Today is Tuesday, March the 20th, 2018, and we have a lot of ground to cover. There's so much going on across this country right now. We got bombs going off in Austin, Texas. I think there's up to five now that have gone off. Two people have died. Initially, people believed those bombings were hate crime, but now it's looking like there's something else. I want to talk about that. We got a police officer in Minneapolis, Minnesota, charged with murder who turned himself in today. I want to definitely talk about that. And we have the latest school shooting that happened in Maryland today where the suspect was shot by the school resource officer. So I definitely want to talk about that and compare it to how it relates to uh, the school shooting in Florida uh, just a few weeks ago that everyone is still talking about. So there's a lot to cover today on Beyond the Badge. And I want to thank you for going along on this ride with me. Let's get right to it and let's get out to Austin. Now, I'm sure you've heard by now in the news, there have been four bombings that have taken place in and around Austin, Texas. Today made actually uh, the fifth bombing. It was at a FedEx location uh, in a town about 70 miles from Austin. And the FBI is saying that these bombings are related. Uh, That bomb went off at about 6.30 a.m. this morning in Swartz, Texas, which, again, is about 70 miles from Austin. FBI is saying these bombs uh, are possibly related. Now, if you think back to when this first started a few weeks ago, uh, the word on the street was that this was a hate crime because the two victims that died in separate bombings were both in the same family. They were both black. They both attended the same church, and they both supposedly came from uh, highly political Uh, highly visible people in the community. And then the third victim who was not killed but was seriously injured was a 75-year-old Hispanic woman. Uh, So, of course, immediately everyone was saying this was a hate crime before anyone really knew what was going on. Uh, But just Monday, a fourth bomb went off, and then uh, a tripwire was actually used on that one. The other previous three were... Um, packages left at a door. This one on Monday, uh, two bicyclists were riding by. They hit a tripwire and then the explosion and it injured uh, those bicyclists. And I'm not sure the details of the one that was left at the FedEx this morning. Uh, but again, authorities are saying that it's likely the same person. So the city of Austin, uh, Obviously, not just the city of Austin, this individual or individuals when about 70 miles away are kind of under siege. Uh, Most police agencies were telling people to stay inside. Do not come outside if they don't have to. If you see any packages that you did not order, you know, call the police, call the bomb squad, call the authorities immediately. Don't pick those packages up. Uh, And, you know, that's really a hard thing to do because That's what we do as human beings. That thing called curiosity always piques our interest. 
And I assure you that a lot of people, including myself, have gotten packages at our door that weren't intended for us. But when we see a box at our door, it's just human nature, curiosity to pick that up to see exactly uh, what it is. But at any rate, police departments are telling people, report any suspicious packages. Um, You know, if you see something, say something. And, you know, I was on One American News last night talking about this incident and I was asked, are these cases usually solved? And, you know, it took me back to 1995 and a guy named Ted Kaczynski, who later became known as the Unabomber. And it actually took the FBI between 1978 and 1995. So almost 20 years to actually catch this guy um, for, for several reasons. A, his bombings were spread out. They were spread out over time, as in he would do maybe one this year, wait a year and do another one, then do two the following year. So it took him some time to do all of these bombings. And two, his bombs were being sent via the mail. They weren't confined to one geographical area, so it was really hard to track. Now, the difference with this individual, he, she, they, whoever they are, is They're striking very fast, and they're staying in the same area. So it may actually be easier or faster, should I say. It won't be easy for sure, but it may be faster to catch this individual or individuals who are out doing these bombings because we all know if one person knows something, then by default another person knows something. And I say that to say this. If I'm building all these bombs, you better believe that there's one person who I think I can trust and tell my deep, dark, dark secrets to who I confided in. And then that one person who I thought I can trust my deep, dark secrets to actually confides in another person. We know that's how that works. That's how rumors get started. That's how relationships break up because You went to your buddy and you told him about this girl you were seeing on the side outside of your wife. And then, hey, man, don't say a word. And then your buddy goes and tells his wife and then his wife goes and tells your wife. And then you're in the divorce house. That's how that stuff works. So I'm sure this person or persons who are going around doing this has told somebody. Somebody knows something. Now, the reward right now, I believe, is up to one hundred thousand dollars. Maybe that's not enough to get that person to talk or maybe that person is in fear. But I assure you, there's more than one person that knows what's going on with these bombings. And whoever's doing this is very calculated. They're very meticulous because if they didn't stand out when they were leaving packages at someone's door, maybe just maybe they were dressed as a UPS or a package delivery person. If they had time to set up a trip wire, maybe, just maybe, it's someone that lives in the area that didn't stick out to everyone else. Because if you think about it, if you're just walking down the street, la, 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 and you see this guy or girl in the low crawl position, and they're pulling string across the street, and they're tying it off to another object, Something's probably going to strike in your mind and say, well, that doesn't really look right. I should probably call someone. 
unless they're doing it in, in the middle of the night. But even then, there's always somebody out on a city street. There's always someone driving through my apartment building at two in the morning and I can hear their freak, freaking music. So I assure you that in the streets of Austin at one, two in the morning, there's always cars driving by where somebody would see something. So maybe this person lives in the area because he knew the area, he or she or they knows the area really well to be able to drop packages off at houses and go undetected and set up trip wires and go undetected. You know, eh, I don't know. And maybe this person has some type of training. Obviously they do. They know how to make bombs. Yes, you can find it on the internet. Yes, you can find how to make crack cocaine on the internet. So yes, you can find how to make a bomb on the internet. But I think this person are persons They're very skilled in what they are doing, and they've had training in doing exactly what they do. Now, does that mean it could be a military person? I don't know. I can tell you that there's Camp Mabry uh, there in Austin, Texas. Now, am I implying that this person is military? Absolutely not. But can we rule it out? Absolutely not. And if you say, why, why can't we rule it out? Well, just think back to 1995. And this guy named Timothy McVeigh, who had just gotten out of the military and his purpose for going in the military was to learn to do exactly what he did at the Oklahoma uh, federal building there back in 1995. So we can't rule anything out. Heck, we can't even rule terrorism out. Now, do I think it's radical Islamic terrorism based on how they react, what their motives are? operandi is they like mass destruction so do i think it's isis or anyone like that no but it could possibly well be domestic terrorism but whatever it is i know the police have a very daunting task of catching this individual or individuals i can assure you it's gonna rely on the public's help as much as the investigation piece of this because the public will probably see something or hear something long before police can even establish leads. And that's what's going to be needed to help solve this case. Because, you know, at the end of the day, we may all know someone that lives in Austin or in this other city 70 miles away where this other bomb went off at a FedEx center. And think about that really quick, just thinking outside of the injuries and the deaths that can go along with this. A bomb goes off at a FedEx center, which is one of the major change. Imagine how that affects commerce if that entire sitter, that FedEx center, is destroyed by a bomb. Or several trucks are destroyed by a bomb that already have packages on them. That affects the commerce of not just Texas, wherever those packages are going. And this this is serious business. It goes further than just the two people Uh, that were killed tragically and the several people that were injured, you know, this is, is, is something much, much bigger and it needs to be solved quickly. All right. Breaking news out of Minneapolis, Minnesota. And if you've listened to the show for quite some time, I've talked about a few cases in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Uh, the one being where the girlfriend had videotaped live streamed on Facebook her boyfriend's death when he was shot by a Minneapolis, Minnesota police officer 
who they say it was racial, but that officer was Hispanic. Anyway, I digress. Uh, and the other uh, big case that came out of Minneapolis, I actually talked about this on Tucker Carlson on Fox News, uh, was the uh, 40-year-old, I, I believe she was a yoga instructor slash life coach, uh, Justine uh, Damon, who was shot and killed after she called 911. And this officer, Mohammed Noor, was the shooter. Uh, she called 911. She said she heard what appeared to be what sounded like a woman being raped in the alley just behind her house. Uh, police show up. I, I believe Justine saw the police showing up. She walks towards the vehicle and then she's shot in the abdomen and she later died uh, there on the scene. Now, uh, the officer, Mohammed Noor, who really wouldn't give a statement, uh, there was some radio transmission that was going on right before and right after the shooting where it basically suggests that uh, he was startled by uh, a loud noise in the alley, and that's what sparked him to shoot Justine. Now, Officer Mohammed Noor was on the passenger side of the vehicle. His partner was in the driver's side. Justine approached from the driver's side, uh, when she was shot. Now, he's been formally charged with third-degree murder and second-degree uh, manslaughter. Now, I'm not sure how you can be charged with third-degree murder and second-degree manslaughter because manslaughter is the lesser of the two charges, but, you know, I'm not an attorney by any means. Um, but I do know that third-degree murder only actually exists in three states, in Minnesota is one of those states, Florida, and I believe Pennsylvania is the other state that third degree murder actually exists as a charge because typically it's either first or second degree murder. Then you start getting down to your manslaughter charges. So this sounds like the lesser uh, version of a murder charge, but all the while it's still a murder charge. Now, in the state of Minnesota, that charge, if you're found Guilty carries a maximum sentence of 25 years in prison for third-degree murder. Uh, and it basically says uh, he perpetrated in the, uh, an dangerous act which showed a deprived mind. And the second-degree manslaughter charge alleges he acted with culpable negligence, creating unreasonable risk. Now, you know, I'm kind of mixed about this case, and I will touch on the unreasonable risk. Uh, and let me preface it by saying I don't want a Monday morning quarterback any officer's decision because I've been in the streets and I've been in those split-second decisions. But I want to touch on the unreasonable risk, right? And, and, and I think back to a, a very famous case, Tamir Rice, the 12-year-old that was shot in Ohio uh, by those officers or that officer, I should say. And I did criticize the training officer of that shooting simply because he left no cover for him or his partner. When they pulled into that park and they pulled up on Tamir Rice, there was only feet between them. So even if Tamir's intent when he was reaching for the gun was to say, hey, it's a toy gun, he left no reaction time for his partner. So I partially 
fault his partner, his field training officer, for not tactfully approaching that situation and being able to access it because you never pull your partner right next to the person that has the gun. That's just something you don't do. Let me talk about this unreasonable risk in this situation out in Minnesota, Minneapolis. Now, I'm driving a patrol car and I have someone next to me. And, you know, in Nashville, once you got off your probation with your field training officers, you were a solo car. So I wasn't used to having someone ride with me. Occasionally, we would ride together. You know, if there was limited cars or something like that, or if we had a special detail going on, we'd ride together. But I'm not sure I know how I would feel if the person person sitting to my right on the passenger side shot in my direction, putting my life in danger just to strike the person on the other side of the vehicle versus me being in the driver's seat, having a better and more accurate shot without any obstruction, i.e. your partner in that vehicle. Now, again, not Monday morning quarterback. Have police been ambushed in alleys? Absolutely. Have police had to fire outside of their cars because of ambushes? Absolutely. So, did this officer reasonably believe he was being ambushed? They got a 9 on him. Here's here's how this is going to play out in court. So, you're going to have the prosecutor say, well, the call was about a rape and a woman screaming. It wasn't about guys in the alley with guns. So why did you have your gun? And then you're going to have the defense that's going to come back and say, well, I'm going to go down these 20 cases one by one of officers that have been killed in the line of duty via an ambush that happened in an alleyway based on a fake 911 call. And then let's have this conversation. So I think what this case is going to come down to, and I really hope it doesn't get racial and political like we've seen it happen before because she's Caucasian, she's white, she's from Australia or or somewhere over there. She's not actually from the United States. And then you have Officer Mohammed Noor, who's Somali, and he came here as a kid, as a refugee. So I really hope that this doesn't turn into the OJ's symptom. O.J. Simpson symptoms are the O.J. Simpson sickness of we got to make it black and we got to make it white. I really hope that this comes down to a the evidence. Now, according to all reports, the body cams were turned on after uh, something about it malfunction or something about the car, the blue lights weren't on in the car or something like that, which if that's the type of body cams their department purchase, then yes, unless the blue lights are activated, then your body cam does not turn on. So, and when you're in an alleyway and you're looking for a rape victim and you're also watching your back and you're making sure you're not being ambushed, the last thing on your mind, and I don't care how long you've worn that body cam, your training comes first. The last thing on your mind is to say, hold on, partner, let me turn on my body cam because no, you're looking for this rape victim and you're watching your back and you're watching every corner to make sure someone doesn't jump out. Trust me, I've been in dark alleys in my patrol car and I felt like that sitting duck. So I could actually see it. I can see the logic in it. I could see the articulation in it. If 
and when this officer is asked, why didn't you just manually turn on your body cam? And that's going to be his response. They're going to have expert witnesses that say that's their response. They're going to have ex-cops, current cops, to say that would be their response. Well, I didn't turn it on because I was worried about A, B, C, D, and E, and this body cam is F, and I hadn't even gotten to B to worry about turning on the body cam. So I'll be interested to see how this goes. Uh, Officer, well, former officer, I guess, Mohammed Noor turned himself in uh, earlier today on those charges. They haven't set a trial date yet, but, uh, you know, of course, I will be following the trial, and I'm sure on one of the major um, networks, um, I'll probably be talking about this case. And, again, following the trial and, you know, talking about it here on Beyond the Badge as it goes forward. And, you know, let's let's see what comes out of it. The uh, the former chief, she lost her job because of this. Uh, she resigned instead of being fired. Uh, I tried to have her here on the show. She said she couldn't talk right now. She would let me know when she could. And I assume, honestly, since he's now charged and uh, this will be going to trial, I assume she, the former chief, will probably be called in as well. So I doubt she can talk. But as soon as I can have her on the show, I definitely will. So we can get her side of the story, why she resigned and, you know, what her feelings are on the shooting. Hey, have you ever heard those those uh, radio ads where it talks about, you know, vehicle warranty and you can buy it for X amount of dollars and you know, it goes above and beyond your dealer warranty after your dealer warranty has expired. And, you know, I, I hear them all the time and it's like, nah, I'm good. I got a hundred thousand mile warranty on my Hyundai. Uh, and then, you know, I have one Hyundai Genesis that just after a hundred thousand miles, I needed about $1,500 worth of work. And I was thinking, man, it'd be great if I had that warranty because these parts are just well, it really wasn't even the part. It was the labor that was so expensive. The part itself was about $45, and the labor was about $1,500. And it just drove me crazy that uh, my warranty was expired, but the labor was so dang expensive to fix the car. Now, granted, she's riding brand new, but it was still $1,500 out of my pocket. And that reminds me of my friend's over at RuggedDepot.com. Has your factory warranty expired on your Panasonic Toughbook? If so, call Rugged Depot at 833-RUGGED-3. Rugged Depot has a complete inventory of Toughbook parts on hand and fully certified technicians. Whether your laptop needs a new touchscreen or a fresh coat of paint, Rugged Depot, they have you covered. They will have your old tough book looking and operating like brand new at a fraction of the cost of a new unit. You'll be amazed at how smooth your old laptop runs after you double the RAM, update your operating system, and install a solid-state hard drive. When you send your laptop to Rugged Depot, they will give you a complete breakdown of what needs to be fixed and the cost to make it happen. Hey, they won't give you the runaround. Rugged Depot will also buy back your old tough book 
and give you store credit to put towards a new model. Call 833-RUGGED3 or go to RuggedDepot.com and type badge in the chat box. That's 833-RUGGED3 or RuggedDepot.com. All right, I want to switch gears and take it out to Maryland. And I'm sure if you watched the news today, you know about the school shooting, the latest school shooting at Great Mills High School in Maryland. And, you know, we're just off the heels of the shooting out in Florida where 17 people were killed. Today, only one person was killed, and that was the gunman. He was actually, or should I say the gun boy, he was only 17. Uh, He was shot and killed by the school resource officer who acted bravely and rushed into the building and eliminated the threat because that's what police are trained to do. Now, yeah, I want to touch base and I don't want to politicize anything, but, you know, everyone is always talking gun control and banning this and banning that and stopping mass shootings. Well, let me compare this to Florida right off the bat. There is no comparison uh, because the two victims uh, that the gun boy shot One was an ex-girlfriend, so they believed the motive was the retaliation for the breakup. And the other was a 16-year-old boy who they believe she is currently dating. So the two targets uh, were intended targets. And this individual didn't go into this school with an AR-15. He went inside the school with a handgun. And I only say that to say this, right? And I've said it before, bullets are bullets. They're designed to kill. Now, there's going to be someone that says, well, they didn't die. And if it would have been an AR-15, they would have died. And my argument to that is Dylan Roof shot 13 people. He killed nine using a handgun. Nine people died as a result of a handgun. I say these two young people that were shot today at this high school were definitely lucky uh, that they survived that and definitely lucky that the school resource officer was there and he acted quickly. Um, you know, I, I say it and I'll say it again. I've said it before. I'll say it again. You know, we can have this debate about gun control, but I think this is a much bigger situation, a much bigger uh, scenario, a much bigger thing that we need to overcome other than having this debate about gun control, because this individual today who is now deceased got a gun in the school and it wasn't a long rifle. It was a gun with the intent to kill. He didn't shoot them to just say, all right, I'm going to shoot you in the leg because you broke up with me. No, no, no. His intent was to kill them. I still believe that we need tighter controls at the school as far as entry And if we need metal detectors, we need metal detectors. No one likes to take their shoes off at the airport. No one likes to take their belt off at the airport. But at the same time, no one wants to be on that plane that gets hijacked and flown into a building. Those are some of the necessary evils that we had to do after September 11th. A thousand people may be going to Terminal C, but I assure you there's only one way to get to Terminal C at most airports. You have to go through The TSA, you got to take off your coats. You got to take off your belt. You got to pour out your juice if it's more than, what, four ounces. You got to do all these things. Nobody likes it, but nobody wants to be on that next plane that gets hijacked and flown into a building or crashes into a field. You know, something that happened 17 years ago. Some of us, most of us, remember that. 
Now, when I go to my son's school, man, I think I can count 10 or 11 ways to get in the school undetected, undetected. And the doors aren't locked. I've walked to his school and in school countless times through different doors to go pick him up. That scares me because that tells me anyone with a bandana, anyone that wants to be the next Nicholas Cruz to come in there with the AR-15 can just randomly and easily walk into schools. I think we need control access into the schools. And in that controlled access, hell, if we need to make it look like TSA, then damn it, let's make it look like TSA because I assure you those two parents whose children were shot today are kind of upset that it happened. I assure you those 17 parents down in Florida are really upset and really hurt that they lost lives. Let's control the access to these schools. We have to do it. We're not in a world anymore. and We haven't really been in that world since Columbine, and that was in 1999. We're not in a world anymore like when I was going to school. When I graduated high school, it was 1991. And the shootings that took place at the school took place outside of the school on the school grounds, and it was a beef between Pookie and Little Mo, and those were the only two shooting at each other. You didn't have to worry about someone coming in the school to just start shooting up people. You didn't have to worry about that. But now you have to. And we're going to continue to have this debate about school shootings. We're going to continue to have this debate about gun control until some officials, some administrators, and some parents, A, get really pissed off, and B, wise up and say, yeah, we can say we're going to control guns, but we know we can't. But let's focus on what we can control. Let's focus on who can get in the school, how they can get in the school, and where they can get in the school. And then we can start controlling what happens in our schools. Until we have that conversation, I assure you, we will always, always be going back and forth about school shootings in this country. But I, I want to talk about this deputy who stopped this school shooter today, uh, Deputy Blaine Gaskell. He's a six-year veteran uh, with the department there, and he also doubles as a SWAT team member, and he was unharmed. Man, I tell you what, that kid picked one heck of a school to go and try to shoot your ex-girlfriend at, a school that's protected by an SRO who... He probably thought was just some old rental cop. He's actually pretty young or some guy who just couldn't cut it on the street. So he was in the school, but he didn't know that this guy actually served as a SWAT team member as well. And he's being praised by his sheriff, you know, uh, for doing an outstanding job and, you know, quickly containing the situation. And uh, in a statement from the sheriff, he's, it says he had. Uh, significant ground to cover. The premise is simple. You go to the sound of gunfire. And it goes back to Florida this past uh, Valentine Day where that deputy Scott Peterson, our former deputy Scott Peterson, says he thought the shots were coming from outside. And now the video that's being released of him standing outside for that extended period of time, you know, I got to say it doesn't look good for him. But again, I don't Monday morning quarterback anything, but I will say that this deputy Blaine Gaskill probably saved a lot of lives. Now, granted, the ex-girlfriend was an intended target, 
The other guy was probably an intended target, but he probably still had bullets in that gun, and that shooting could have been a lot worse uh, had that officer not stepped in and acted quickly. So hats off to him. He did exactly what he's supposed to do, eliminate the threat. And, you know, people will say, oh, it was a teenager. Well, the teenager had a gun, and the gun he was using was used with the intent to kill uh, his his victims because his ex-girlfriend, I understand, has had life-threatening injuries and is in critical condition. So, yes, he was a 17-year-old kid, but his intent was to kill. So one thing's... One thing that police realize, and a lot of people don't, that have never done this job, and it goes back to, you know, the Tamir Rices of the world. Granted, yes, it was a toy gun, but the police believed it was a gun. And I've said this before, I'll say it again. It doesn't matter how old you are. If you know how to point that gun and pull the trigger, you are a killer. And it's the police's job to stop the threat. And that's what this deputy did today. So my hat is off to him. He probably saved more lives than he actually realizes. All right, from the good to the not so good, it's time for my 10-7 segment because we're out of time for the night. Uh, And I want to honor police officer Scotty Hamilton, Pikeville Police Department in Kentucky. His end of watch was Tuesday, March 13th, 2018. Police officer Scotty Hamilton was shot and killed at approximately 11.30 p.m. as he and a Kentucky Kentucky State Police Trooper conducted criminal patrol on Hurricane Road in the Hurricane Creek area of Pike County. The officers were in the area as a result of recent narcotics activity, God, which I've done thousands of times, when they encountered a suspicious vehicle. As Officer Hamilton checked the area for the vehicle's occupants, he encountered a man and he was shot in the head. One suspect was taken into custody at the scene. A second suspect fled the scene but was apprehended several days later. Officer Hamilton had served with the Pikeville Police Department for a total of 12 years. He is survived by his wife and child. Godspeed to him. My prayers to his family. Man, I know how dangerous that situation can be, especially when, as I've said, bad guys don't want to go to jail, especially bad guys that deal in drugs. They don't want to go to jail. I've been in that situation a thousand times, and I know it could have very easily have been me. But thankfully, by the grace of God, I'm still here. I'm still here to be able to tell you these stories here on Beyond the Badge. I want to thank you for listening, as always, and I will see you next week right here, same time, same place, RadioInfluence.com. Good night. To continue the conversation, get updates on the show, and to find out when you can see him on television, follow Vincent on Twitter, at Vincent Hill TV. That's at Vincent Hill TV. This has been Beyond the Badge on Radio Influence. This is an Ian Beckles flavor in your ear quick fix on Radio Influence. Some of the crazy things that are happening in our world uh, we, with, the, with the Me Too movement. And I'm all for the Me Too movement. I think it's got kind of blurry as it's gone along. This is where it has a double standard. If you've been watching American Idol, I'm not a big American Idol guy. My girl, Katy Perry, who, who was fine as frog hair, when she had her long hair, 
She shouldn't have cut that dang hair. But Katy Perry is ogling over dudes. Like, you know, dude come up like, damn, you're hot. If a guy did that these days, he'd be in big, big trouble. She kissed one of the boy contestants. I'm saying boy, but he's probably 19, 20. Square on his lips. Boy, if a guy did that right now, he'd be in big, big trouble. You can find Ian Beckles' Flavor in Your Ear on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, and RadioInfluence.com.